We are in Yavamos Bays on the Bays 2B1 in the Archical Gemara. We are continuing on with the Mishnah. This is a long Mishnah. It's going to take up the entire Daf. And what we did until now, what we did in yesterday's recording, was go through the 15 different types of sister-in-law in which uh, there's an exemption from Yibum and Chalitza because you're related to them in some other way whether it's your daughter or your mother-in-law, we went through the 15 different cases, and not only is she exempt, but if your brother, who's the one who passed away, has another wife, has, and there, therefore there are, are co-wives, the co-wife is also exempt. That's what we discussed in the first part of the Mishnah. There's one more line to the Mishnah, and then the Mishnah is actually going to sort of repeat itself to describe the cases, to, to really try to flesh it out and describe the cases that we've been discussing from the last recording. But the Mishnah has one more line, and it's a very important line because it also discusses uh, some topics that we are not uh, as familiar with. The Mishnah says, Let's say you have somebody who passes away, and let's say, let's just give uh, the, uh, the first case, he's married to his niece. And so he passes away. So this there's an exemption of Yibam Mechalitza because it's the person's sister-in-law, but it's also his own daughter. But let's say he has a co-wife. He has he has another wife who's then therefore a co-wife. The co-wife is also exempt. But let's say before the the husband passes away, the the wife who is also the daughter of the deceased brother passes away before the brother passes away. So she's essentially not in the picture at the time that the brother passes away. So there's only one wife now present when the brother passes away. So if that's the case, that the the daughter passes away before the, before the deceased brother passes away, so then we say the other wife, the co-wife of the daughter, would be obligated in Yibam or Chalitza. Essentially the... the idea here is that all we care about, we don't care about the relationship between the co-wives if they were ever co-wives together. That's not what, our, what, that's not what exempts the co-wife who's not related. No, it's, it's all determined based on at the point in time when the brother passes away. When that brother passes away, so who now is potentially sub, subject to Yibam? If there's a close relative who's subject to Yibam, a close relative to the brother-in-law, Right, the brother that is alive, so then there's an exemption. But if that woman is no longer alive, or we're going to have different scenarios where they're no longer in the picture anymore at the time of the husband's death, and there's only this other wife, the other the other co-wife, so then there is an obligation of Yibum or Chalitza. The determining point in time, this is the point of the Mishnah, the determining point in time is at the time of the brother's death, not if they were co-wives together uh, for whatever reason. So the Mishnah says that if the wife who's also the daughter of the brother who's now alive, it's basically he married his niece, but then she passes away first before the brother passes away, so then the other tsar would have to do Yibam. There would be an obligation to do Yibam. But there's also other cases, not just if she dies. Another case is, let's say, O Mianu. The case what's called Mion. What exactly is Mion? Mion is the following situation happens. Basically, the father has... If it, the classic situation is where 
forget about the whole family structure of Yibam and Chalitza for now, about brothers-in-law and sister-in-laws, just about Mion alone. The classic situation is if you have a father has a daughter, let's say he passes away, and the daughter now is under the age of 12. So if the father's alive, so then he has a right on a biblical level to marry off his daughter. He has, if the daughter is is under the age of 12, he has that right to marry off his daughter on a biblical level. If he passes away, so then the mother does not have that biblical right to marry off her daughter. However, on a rabbinic level, they instituted that there could be a rabbinic marriage. The mother has the right to marry off her daughter on a rabbinic level, it will be a rabbinic marriage. And the reason why they did this was really to the benefit of the daughter, because the daughter, it was common in those times uh, to have the father really be the one that would set up the marriage for their children. If the father's not alive, so then there's concern that this daughter will will grow up and she won't get married or different things would happen to her. She wouldn't be protected from by by her father. And so as a result of that, they instituted and said that the mother has the right to marry off her daughter on a rabbinic level to protect the daughter so that she gets married and she's protected now by her husband because the father is not is is not in the picture. He's no longer alive. The mother has the right to do this, but it's only on a rabbinic level. This is only a rabbinic marriage. Now, at the same time that they did this, they also gave the girl the right to back out, to refuse him. And they gave gave the girl the right to back out up to the age of 12, until she becomes an adult, uh, a halakhically, uh, of a halakhic age to be, to be viewed as an adult. So if she has the right to back out of this marriage up to the age of 12. If she backs out of the marriage, so then what happens is, is that we, we view it as retroactively not even being viewed as married, even on a rabbinic level, as being married to this to this husband. It's retroactive. It's as if she was never married to begin with to this husband. And so what the Mishnah is saying is that let's say you have a scenario where something like that happened, and you have the brother who passes away, and he's married to a close relative of the live brother, and he also has another wife. But that close relative of the live brother is really under the age of 12. And she backs out of the marriage. So essentially she's backing out of the marriage. So she's no longer in the picture. Just like if she were to die, she's no longer in the picture at the, at the time of the brother's death. So too, if she backs out of the marriage before the brother dies, so then she's no longer in the picture when we're discussing the point in time when the brother dies. He has still this other wife. This other wife would then be obligated to do Yibum or Chalitza. That's the second case. Oh, Niskarshu. Let's say a third case is, forget about the whole Mian situation of, of a girl who is under the age of 12. Let's say you have a wife who's an adult and they get divorced. If they get divorced, they were originally, this wife was related to the live brother. Let's say it was the daughter of the live brother. They end up getting divorced. The the deceased brother and uh, the woman, her his his niece, they get divorced before he passes away. So she's no longer in the picture at the t- point in time when he passes away. So you have this other wife who is was still married at the time of his death. So she then would also be obligated to do Yibam or Chalitza. And then finally, the last case is Oshinimtu Islandess. Or if she was found to be an islandess. Let's say this relative was found to be an islandess. What does that mean? An islandess is somebody 
who doesn't have, uh, didn't develop the signs of a female puberty. And she doesn't have signs of being, of, uh, of being a fully developed woman. And the point is, is that they got married under the assumption, it's really very interesting to analyze this, but they got married under the assumption that uh, she would be able to have children. Ends up being that they find out that she's not able to have children. So the, the basic understanding is, although this does require, there's, there's a big discussion about this, but the basic understanding is that um, since there is an assumption going in that uh, he would marry a woman who could have children, that he would be able to have children, and now she can no longer, it's found out after they get married that she can have children, it's what we call a mekach tos. It, 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 was, it was not what he had in mind at the time that he got married, and so therefore it, retro, it uh, retroactively uh, annuls the marriage. You don't even need a divorce document. You don't need a get, according to many in that, in that scenario. According to others, you might need a get. Uh, it would be like uh, you would have to give a get because it's what we call a mekartos. It was under uh, uh, false assumptions. And it's, that itself is interesting to analyze on its own. It's not, it's not part of our mission's discussion, but when does that apply? When does that not apply? What happens if I uh, marry somebody and all of a sudden I find out that you know, she spends more money than I expected or, or whatever the scenario is? Am I allowed to just all of a sudden say that there's a mekartos here, that you know, this was, I, I married a woman and I didn't know what to expect? And not that I didn't know what to expect, but I expected one thing and something else, and I got something else. Um, does that automatically make uh, make the marriage null and void. Uh, that doesn't happen for most cases. In, in most scenarios, it has to be under very specific uh, rules and guidelines. But that itself is uh, is an interesting topic. But let's say that's what happened over here. Uh, in, this, in this scenario, the deceased brother marries, let's say, his niece, but the niece ends up being an islandist, somebody who doesn't have signs of full maturity, and she cannot, she cannot have kids. So that retroactively annuls, according to most, it retroactively annuls the marriage. And now he's left with, with his other wife. So in all those scenarios, if it's through death or divorce or mion, the concept of mion, or the wife is found to be an islandist that she can't have children, basically the wife is out of the picture, the related wife to the, to the live brother is out of the picture. Um, she, when the husband dies, he's left with his other wife. That wife would then have an obligation to do yibum or chalitza. Tzaroseyan, Mishnah says, mutaros. And then just as an aside, the Mishnah says that uh, there's obviously in cases, They say, as this is sort of like a parenthesis, that if the brother, the, the deceased brother, first married his his brother's mother-in-law, or his brother's uh, mother-in-law's mother, or father-in-law's mother. Clearly, in those scenarios, it's impossible to say that she was found to be an islandess. An islandess is somebody who can't have children. Obviously, if you're marrying somebody who is a mother-in-law, they had children. Or they can't say that they they did mion. Mion is when you're under twelve. If you're having, if you're a mother-in-law, so then you are definitely over the age of 12. So it's just saying, parenthetically, that not, those two cases do not apply when it's your mother-in-law or, well, not your mother-in-law, but your brother's mother-in-law, your brother's uh, mother-in-law's mother or father-in-law's mother. That is really sort of like a parenthesis. What the mission now does is try to explain the cases, the first cases that we discussed in the last recording. 
And so they, they try to go through it because it's, it's hard to picture it in your mind. So the Mishnah says as follows. What is the case in which a, a related co-wife to the brother-in-law, related in some other way, let's say it's his daughter, so that exempts the tsara, the co-wife. What's, what exactly, what are the details involved? And this is something which we explained already yesterday in the last recording. You have a brother marrying his niece, meaning the, and then, and then after he dies, you have a brother-in-law and sister-in-law who's also a father and daughter relationship. But the deceased brother also has another wife, the mace, and the brother dies childless. Just like the wife who's the daughter of the brother-in-law is exempt from Yibam and Chalitza, so too the co-wife, the other wife, is also exempt from Yibam and Chalitza. The mission now tries to explain the next case, the case of Tsaras Tsara, which is was a little more complicated to understand, so we'll just we explained it in the last recording, but we'll just repeat it now because the mission also repeats it now. But essentially you have to have in this scenario you have three brothers. At least three brothers. You have three brothers, uh, Ruven, Shimon, and Levi. Ruven marries Sarah. Ruven marries Sarah. Sarah is also Shimon's daughter. Okay, so after Ruven dies without children, Ruven's married to Sarah and also to Rachel. Rachel is the is the wife that's not married, that's not related to anybody else outside of being married to Reuven. So Reuven's married to Sarah and Rachel. Sarah cannot do Yibam to Shimon because it's Shimon's daughter. Uh, Rachel also cannot do Yibam to Shimon because Rachel is a co-wife of Sarah. But Rachel could do Yibam and Sarah could do Yibam to Levi, the third brother. And so Rachel, who's the co-wife, goes ahead and does Yibam, has Yibam, Levi does Yibam to Rachel and is married to Levi. Levi happens to also have Another wife, uh, a different wife. He has he's married to Rachel now, and he's also married to Leah. But Levi then uh, dies also without any children. So we say that Rachel always remains forbidden to Shimon, even though Rachel is not the daughter of Shimon; it was just a co-wife of the daughter of Shimon. But since she was exempt once from Yibam to Shimon, so she remains always exempt uh, from Yibam to Shimon. And the Gemara will try to explain what exactly is the logic behind that. But, which is a fascinating discussion, but she is always exempt to Shimon. And not only is she exempt to Shimon, but we say that any of her co-wives are also exempt to Shimon. And this would apply forever. Let's say there were four brothers. And let's say Rachel's co-wife of the third, of the second marriage that she goes into, to Levi, that co-wife married, has Yibam done to her through, uh, to a fourth brother. So then that brother dies, is also going to be exempt to Shimon. Anybody who is at one point in time exempt to Shimon because of being related, whether it's the co-wife or the one who's actually related, if it comes up in another uh, from another brother, so then they remain exempt from Yibam and Chalitza. Not only do they remain exempt from Yibam and Chalitza, but also their co-wives. And that's what the Mishnah explains again in, in the next few lines. Let's say the co-wife of the daughter. Let's say the daughter of Shimon, that in the case that we just described, goes ahead and marries Levi. And Levi has Leah, another wife, Umes, and Levi dies. Kishem Shetaras Bita just like Rachel is exempt from Yibam, Kach Tzaras Tzaras Abtura. So too, Leah is also exempt from Yibam. Even if you have a hundred brothers and the same thing occurs, anytime that you're exempt from Yibam to one of the brothers, to that brother alone, so then, if you fall to Yibam again, because you, you do Yibam's done to a different brother, and then that brother passes away, you remain exempt from Yibam always to Shimon, to that, to that 
original original brother that you were exempt uh, originally exempt from. Okay, now the Mishnah elaborates on the first case that we discussed in this recording. How do we know? What's the case where, uh, let's say, the, the relative dies before the brother, that now the co-wife is then has an obligation to Yibam or Chalitza? What would be the case? Let's say you have the, the deceased brother is married to the daughter of his niece, essentially. And then, and he has another wife. Let's say the daughter, who's his wife, the daughter of the live brother, who's the wife of the deceased brother, passes away, or they get divorced. And then the brother dies. So then the co-wife would have an obligation to to the live brother. Because at the time of his death, he was not married to the related uh, wife related through some other means other than being the sister-in-law. And the Mishnah now closes, and this is the conclusion of the Mishnah. And it says as follows, That if you have a situation of Mian, again, we said Mian is when they're under the age of 12, and she has the right to back out of the marriage. So let's say the husband, the brother who's the, the, the husband and he passes away, let's say he passes away while she's still under the age of 12. This is a rabbinic marriage. And she didn't have the opportunity to do mian, to back out of this marriage, this rabbinic marriage. So if the husband were to be alive, she still has the ability to back out because she's still under the age of 12. But she didn't have that ability. She didn't, you know, she, she could have, but he passed away before she, she was able to. So because that's the case, so then we don't really know whether or not she is... Uh, still married to that husband because if she were to have, if if he were to be alive she there's a potential for her to back out if she backs out so then it's also it's the point is that it's retroactively backing out it's re- it, it would be an ability to retroactively back out since we don't know whether or not she would have backed out because he's now he's no longer alive anymore so now it's unclear whether she's really viewed as even as a rabbinic rabbinically married to her husband to this brother who passed away it's just we don't know if they're viewed as married because she still has the ability to back out and he passed away before she turned 12. Because of that's the case, we don't know whether or not this this relative, who's, let's say, for example, the daughter of the live brother, we don't know if they're really married or not. So what do you do with the co-wife? Certainly she's not going to do Yibam Mechalitza. Either she's not married to, to her husband because she backed out of the marriage, or even if she is married, in the end of the day, it's a, it's a sister-in-law. It's, it's the daughter of the of her of her father, who is the brother-in-law, also. So she certainly wouldn't do even rechlitza. The question is, what about the co-wife? And in that scenario, we tell the co-wife because your co-wife, who's the daughter, might not really be married to the husband. Because that's the case, we tell the co-wife, you know, we're in a we're in a questionable scenario here. So certainly, don't do yibum. Yibum, don't do because that would be that would be improper to get married to have uh, marital relations in that scenario when maybe you might not be obligated uh, to do Yibam. That we tell you not to do, but you can still do Chalitza. There's not, you don't lose anything by doing Chalitza. Tzara'sa Chalitza Zavlo Mesebenes. We tell the, the Tzara to do Chalitza. And by doing Chalitza, you are, uh, you're able to get out of this situation where we're not sure whether or not the the wife who's related is actually a wife or not. And so we tell the co-wife to do chalitza, not to do yibam, essentially to to get divorced and not to marry the brother-in-law. That concludes the mission and also our recordings for this week, as it's basically the end of, of this daf, of this page.